Coaches, hello again. Welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. Today, episode 98 with Coach Mike DeVelvis. Currently, Coach Mike DeVelvis is the athletic director at Lakeland High School in North Idaho. He coached collegiate women's basketball for 30 years, 21 years as a head coach at Lewis and Clark State University of Idaho. He's the associate head coach at Wisconsin Green Bay and the University of Illinois. 12 of the 30 teams he coached played in national championships. He has developed All-Americans in programs that had never had any prior to or after his time at those schools. His overall record is 558 and 305. He has a tremendous family. His wife, Judy, and him have been married for 34 years. They have two wonderful children, Zach and Chantel. Zach and his wife, Taz, had their first baby 17 months ago. Zoe is a light for all of us. Develvis decided to make basketball his life's passion while growing up in Chicago's northwest suburb of West Dundee after watching Bobby Knight coach a game for Indiana University in 1972, according to a 2004 Moscow Idaho Daily News profile. He played basketball at Winona State University in Minnesota and graduated in 1981 with a degree in physical education and then was an assistant coach at Eastern Washington University where he earned his master's. He landed his first head coaching job in 1987 at Lewis Clark State College in Idaho and over the next 14 years built the program into an NAIA power. Coaches, I'm so excited to be speaking to uh, Mike DeVelvis. Um, I just considered Mike, and I try to get the best teachers of the game. Um, he is, he was a, a coach that I really followed. Uh, really, I have a lot of his videos along with him and Matt Bullen. Uh Just great teachers of the game, fundamentals of the game, uh, the importance of doing things correctly. Um, you know, some of his great videos he has out there is offensive fundamentals video. Um, him and Matt Bolin have done tremendous on practice drills you can use in your program. Mike is known for the buzz defense. I mean, some great, great information out there. Great teacher of the game. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. Let's welcome Coach Mike DeVelbus. Mike, hello. Appreciate it. We got my, um, Mike DeVelbus here. I'm a big fan of his. I'm so happy to get him on here on our podcast. Hey, Coach, tell us a little bit about yourself. You had – You've had a very distinguished career in. <laughs> um, is, that, is that the word for it, Kevin? Hey, well, you know what? I know what you're great at. I, I'll be honest with you. I got all your videos, my friend, and I, I, I've helped pay for a, probably a lot of your dinners and so forth, maybe. <laughs> but, uh, hey, tell us about your career and kind of your journey in coaching and how you, you had this love for the game. Well, um, can you hear me all right? I can. hear you great. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, I grew up in the Chicago area, and, um, you know, basketball in, our, in, uh, in the state of Illinois is really big. And just the basketball coaches in our town were really revered. Basketball was a sport. Dundee had won some state titles in the earlier years. This was a big deal, and, and – uh, Back then, there was no ESPN, you know, and I and I the only college basketball you got to watch were the two Big Ten games of the week, 
And I remember them making this big deal out of this new coach in Indiana with the plaid sport coat and stuff. And it's the first time I realized, I mean, I didn't know if I was puffed or stumped, you know, and pumped or stuffed. And uh, I didn't know what he was doing. And, but it's the first time I realized that you could uh, make a living coaching and not playing. Somewhere along the line, I knew I was never going to be good enough to do that. So that's just, I knew really young age, I wanted to do that. And I went to school, played ball, went on a state and um, taught elementary PE for three years in, in Winona, but I wasn't happy doing that. I, I wanted to coach college basketball and <clears throat> I worked coach Dutcher's camp in Minnesota a couple of years. And he told me if I could get into the grad school, then I could GA with him, but I didn't have good enough grades to get into Minnesota's grad school. And, so I had another opening in Eastern Washington. My folks moved out to Spokane when I was in college. I uh, got an opportunity to do a grad assistantship at Eastern Washington with a guy named Bill Smith-Peters. And uh, we were both from Illinois, and he was, just liked what he saw visiting with me. And so I went and did that for two years, and um, we uh, were the first team at Eastern to ever play in an NCAA tournament. We beat Montana on their floor, a highly respected program. Got to play in a tournament, and um, then I got the job at Lewis Clark State, Little NEI School in Lewiston, Idaho, and the program was in really, really rough shape. It was a complete culture turn, you know, and it took a little while, but um, we went to six straight national tournaments and had a lot of success there, had great kids, great community support. Uh, it was just really, really fun. Then I uh, was at Idaho from, well, I was at LC for 14 till 87 to 01. I was like 27 years old when I got the job at LC. And, um, then I went to Idaho from 01. We had a couple of really, really good years there and uh, played for two Big West titles. And I don't think they'd ever won a tournament game before I got there in the Big West. And that was really a couple of years were really fun there. And uh, then I, I got let go there and then I ended up at University of Wisconsin, Green Bay, and uh, coached there for four years. And those kids, uh, just tremendous girls. It reminded me a lot of my experience at, at uh, Lewis Clark State, just tremendous, hard-nosed, tough, upper Northwest, upper Midwest kids, you know, that just love to compete. And I just <laughs> – we ran everything that we ran all my time when I got there. The kids – we're running everything that I had run uh, at LC in Idaho. We ran Carolina break before I went in motion. And then uh, I added dribble drive because I was going to run that my last year at Idaho before I let go. Got let go. I learned a little bit about dribble drive. Added dribble drive and the buzz and then all our fundamentals and stuff. And it was like, looked exactly like my program did at LC. And we won four NCAA tournament games. We were actually – we played in a Sweet 16, but we were two possessions away from going to three straight Sweet 16s at Green Bay. And um, he got the uh, – the head coach got the, got the Illinois job, and I really wanted the, uh, the Green Bay job, but that didn't happen. Kevin Borseth uh, uh, came back from Michigan and wanted to come back to Green Bay, and – so the AD hired him seven back, and he's done a fine job there. I went with uh, the coach to Illinois and spent three years there, and um, that ended, I'll just say that ended really, really poorly, really poorly. So 
it uh, has stalled my career. I'm not in coaching right now. I've, I've been trying to survive and get my family back on track. Everything's really good. I worked for a couple of years working for Northwestern Mutual. And then um, I'm now an athletic director at a high school in northern Idaho, just north of Coeur d'Alene. And um, the principal here was an undergrad at Lewis Clark State when I was coaching there. And he said, I want my athletic department to look like your basketball team. He said, I want the, our kids to get that grit and toughness um, that your team's always played with. And so I was honored and got an opportunity to get back into athletics and help kids. And I, uh, I really enjoy it. I'm enjoying my two years here. And I'm thankful. I'd love to coach again somewhere somehow but who knows that's uh that's up to the lord honestly i'm just letting him have it i'm tired of trying to control everything tell you the truth kevin yeah it uh i've been a high school coach my whole career and so forth but i admire you gotta you gotta really grind it out at the college level because i know you did you're a program builder and i know just from that you've done a tremendous job everywhere you've been uh, I think coaching's still in your picture, Mike. I really do because I think you're a big teacher of the game, and that's why I contacted you because I want you to help us out uh, to become better coaches. Hey, what are you doing now as AD to help other coaches? Well, that's a great question. Um, first of all, let me say how honored I feel for you to say that to me. That means a ton to me because after the Illinois thing, I just saw my – reputation was completely in the tank to tell you the truth and um you know i want i just i guess i want people to know three inquiries completely shortest but i grew a lot from that experience you know and i think i've it's really helped allow me to see the kids differently see the game differently just kind of see that you can do things a little different way you know you grow when you go through life altering experiences like that you either grow or die and I've never been a quitter. Never. I never quit anything in my life. And um, uh, I think it's really allowed me to help here. The first thing that we did was we put in a, I really believe that you'll never go above and beyond what your character will allow. And uh, we're trying to teach that to our students. We started with a drug testing program at the high school, uh, and it's meant to help them, to give them an opportunity to say no because they want to play sports. That's the first thing we did. They lose 10 days if they test positive. And then um, then if they test positive again, they lose their season. Another thing, I want everybody in the weight room. The third thing was I put in place a uh, – uh, we only got 850 kids in our high school, so we're a 3A school – or 4A school. The highest is 5A in Idaho. And I want everybody to support each other, and, and I want kids to play two and three sports. So I'm asking them to do that. I formed a student-athlete leadership team because when I first started, the few negative kids, and this is everywhere in a culture, when you're trying to change culture, there's always a few really loud negative voices. Sure. And, the, and you realize there's tons and tons of good kids, but they're usually not the loudest voices. They just go along and do their best. And But I formed this SALT team, a student-athlete leadership team, to try to get them to be our loudest voices and stand up and say, this is who we are. You know, the first day we tested 100 kids my first year, only three kids uh, tested positive. But that means 97% of our kids are making great choices, you know. 
And then the other thing I did was I wanted to give the community an opportunity to be our voice too. So I started an athletic advisory board. Um, coaches, it's taken a little bit. It's really interesting because it, I think it's taken coaches a little bit to warm up to me, you know, and not be nervous. You know what I mean? There, there's coaches that have been here for 20, 25 years that have kind of done it their way. So I've had to build trust first, you know, and give people a chance to get to know me and kind of what my motives are. It, it's a lot like building a college basketball program. It's very, very similar, you know, and there's been some pushback. Everybody thinks they want, I'll tell you the truth, Kevin, in the, in my four years, this is very four different places I coach outside of Eastern Washington, that would be five. The two places we did extremely well at for a long period of time, which was LC and, and Green Bay, those cultures, they were awesome cultures. They let, at LC, they let me build it, stood out of the way and let me build it. If there was pushback, they ignored it. Coach those kids, let's go, get it done. At the other two places that start with I, they, they thought they wanted to win. They really didn't want to win. They weren't willing, as soon as there was pushback, they weren't willing to uh, kind of say, keep going. This is the right thing. We know we're doing the right thing. Well, and, and if you look at the two athletic programs as a whole, uh, they're not doing great. And I think cultures play, because the kids teach each other in those schools, you know. And I think, uh, I, I think culture is everything. You know, character, attitude, effort, challenges, stretching kids, making them better, you know. And um, one of the things that I've taught is the five P's of escape route thinking. You know, great coaches, great teachers, they raise the bar. They have a bar. They teach the kids how to get to the bar. And then what do they do? They raise the bar again. Well, during that period between the two bars, kids are uncomfortable. They're getting stretched. They're getting challenged. Okay. In in life, most weak kids use what we call the five P's of escape route thinking. The first one is it's permanent. It's too hard. I'll never get there. The other one is it's personal. Coach hates me. Anybody ever hear that before? Coach hates me. <laughs> Another one is uh, they project blame. Well, I couldn't get to the shooter in the corner because Sally didn't tell me her players screaming me. Um, it's pervasive. I used to tell my kids at LC, I'm so proud of you because you guys are willing to lay everything on the floor every night, every night, a total effort, every practice, every game. And because you can live with the scoreboard, not saying what you want, you can never come back and no one will believe you. If you come back and say, ah, it didn't mean that much to me. That's pervasiveness because you show everybody it does matter to you. And then the last one, which is the worst one and the most debilitating to kids is parents. Parents cannot stand to see their children be uncomfortable. So they run in to save the day or make it look like it's coach's fault or, or uh, oh, it can't be my daughter's fault. You know, there's got to be something wrong with the program, you know. And places that understand the five Ps and escape route thinking and and are willing to handle the pushback that comes with that, I think they, they become great. They become great. Those kids at Green Bay, I probably coach as hard as any group I ever coached. I didn't hear a whimper, not a whimper from anyone except thank you. You know, well, those are rare kids nowadays. 
you know? Yeah, I love that, Coach. And, I, um, well, of course, I, I, I really studied you, uh, all your tapes, uh, you and Matt, um, under the uh, Wisconsin Green Bay. Hey, do you – and I, I, you can tell those kids were workers. Let me ask you, should coaches really look – if they're applying for a job, you have to really look at the culture you might be working for and the administration. Sometimes – you forget about that. Now, you know it now as an experienced coach, but it was a – you don't know, right? Yeah, yeah. You, and they'll tell you. They'll tell you they want the culture to change because they know they don't like what they see, but they, they don't get it. And, and many, many will tell you they want the culture to change. And then when the pushback comes, if they don't stand up for you, you're done. you got no chance. Sure. Because then the kids will realize, well, I can get rid of a coach just by going to the AD. And once you got that, you're done. So you have to make completely sure. One of the things I think is important is look at the overall structure of the department. How are we in everything? How are the other sports doing? Who are some of the coaches here? How do they motivate kids? Talk to some of those coaches. Can you get kids to play hard here? Will they let you coach them? What's the culture like? That's that's so important because so many places think they want to win, but they really don't. They don't want to upset anybody. Yeah, I think that's true just about almost everywhere. I have a friend, Gene Durden. You might even know Gene out here in Georgia. Uh, he's one of the best coaches. Coach, I'm just, this guy is hard-driven. He told me one time, he says, Coach, not everybody would hire me because it's my way or the highway it's it's <laughs> only the school of Buford would hire him because oh, that's, yeah, 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 yeah. that's how they run the program. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think if we want to grow, truly grow grit in our children and our kids and our program, you have to have high standards. You can still be extremely respectful to kids and care about them, love them, care about them. And I think that's actually one of my strengths. I care deeply about the kids I coach. It, but I believe the best way that I can show kids I, I love and care about them is to con confront them and challenge them and help them grow. I, I think I don't do kids any favors letting them do less than they're capable of doing. I don't think that helps anybody. And, I, and honestly, not one thing that I ever did went past that trying to challenge kids and help them, help them grow. Cause it's the only way they got to be uncomfortable to grow. And if they don't learn how to be comfortable being uncomfortable, well, they're in a lot of trouble. I just met, had a salt meeting today with our kids, some of our student athletes. And I said, how many of you think you're going to go through life without any adversity? Well, not one kid raises their hand. You know, they all know they're going to get some adversity. Well, where's the best training ground? Where are you going to learn how to handle that? in athletics because sometimes you're going to leave everything on a floor you're going to do everything right you're going to have tremendous character you're going to have a great team you're going to play together and you aren't going to get the results that you want the scoreboard ain't going to say what you want and it might happen two three weeks in a row well now who are you now who are you who are you going to be now i watched our girls soccer team the other night they lost a game we're not we're not real strong we lost a game to a very very good high school soccer program 10 nothing I went up to practice the next day just to watch. 
to see what their attitude was going to be like. They were loud, enthusiastic, supporting each other, practicing extremely hard. Now I know who they are. Now I got who those kids are. They're going to be the same kid every day. They can handle the adversity. They're not making any excuses. There's no finger pointing. There's no, none of the five Ps. It's not happening. Well, I love those kids. That's a great group right there. Yeah, Mike, and I, I'm telling you, you are still coaching, my friend. So I know you're coaching hoops, but you're actually probably having more of an impact on many different coaches of different sports. Uh, that's what it sounds like to me. And uh, I would, you know, uh, it'd, be, it'd be a great honor to work for you with all of your great experience. Hey, I have one of your best videos. A lot of people probably don't know about it. It's your offensive fundamentals video. And I thought that was one of the best. I still have it, Coach. Many clips, one through five and six through nine? Sure. I, um, yeah. I have that. Uh, matter of fact, I hate to say it, I have it in VHS. So I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I know. I remember when we made those. I still use those fundamentals because I really believe uh, in the skill development. But tell us why that's so important for every level, every every type of high school, college to have those skills. Oh my gosh. Every, every team I ever coached, that's what we did the first two weeks of the season. We'd do one mini clinic each day and then play three-on-three cutthroat. Um, all that stuff came from John Wood. It, it got filtered down through Coach Meyer and – because George Sage was a guy in Northern Colorado that Meyer played for, Litzenberger played for. And um, his, his office in, when he was doing his PhD was right next to Coach Woods at UCLA. And he learned all that stuff. And so the four-line drills and the start, stops, and turns and all that stuff came from Coach Wooden. And Wooden was a tremendous teacher. And um, so I just got to learn from Jerry Krause was my grad school advisor. So Krause, Meyer, skills and drills and – I added the three-on-three cutthroat part of it to it, you know, in the pressure workups, which I think makes kids think the game. Um, but uh, I just think it's really, really important. It, no matter what offense you're going to run, uh, I've got some friends I work with right now that are assistant principals that got young children, and, and they're pretty good athletes, and they, he wants to help coach them basketball and stuff. I said, here, start with this, because those fundamentals that at any age level, you know, when is it not okay to be in triple threat? When is it not okay to pass the ball off the triple? I mean, you got to pass the ball with your feet on the floor. You know, you got to learn that young. And if you don't, then the cutthroat really helps you learn uh, quickly what we just did in the drill. Because I'm never going to teach. One thing I really believe is I'm never going to teach something in a drill and then let you go play however you want. If I'm going to, if I think it's important enough to teach, then I want to see you when we're playing. You know what I mean? And so the cutthroat, the cutthroat really helps players learn how to learn how to uh, apply it to how they play the game. You know what I mean? I sure do, Coach. And I, I tell you what I, I've learned that I picked up from you. Is we, will, we will do – and I, it's all about game slippage, right? So, I mean, yeah, you don't exactly. want to do four or five drills in a row and wait till the end of practice. You want to see what you taught works, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know it works. It's just I want to know if they can get it in their in their habits. I want to create those habits in them. You know, that's one thing I think has always set our teams apart is like a lot of years at LC, we would average 300 
300 fewer turnovers than our opponents a year. And uh, it's going to get loud for a second here. The bell just rang, and I'm heading to the gym now. We'll see if we can get in there. But uh, we, we, and I, not just because of the buzz and the pressure and stuff. Some of it was because of our defense. But a, a big part of it was we just took good care of the ball. You know, and I just think that's so important to teach kids how to be tough with the basketball and make uh, teaching decisions, teach decision making. A guy named Chris Oliver right now in, in sure. Canada is doing a tremendous job with some teaching decision making, you know, and uh, the zero second stuff, you know, which I, I well, depending on what my offense, if I'm running motion, I'm not going to do zero second stuff. But not many kids, it, motion's a tough teach nowadays. There aren't very many kids you're going to get to be that patient, swing the ball side, top side, make five, six passes, create some action. You know, everybody wants to attack the rim and run dribble drive, which I love. I love it. Um, but I think a balance of being able to play both ways is important too. But teaching decision-making, I think, is so important. Yeah, and, and tell us, um, because I, I believe in the same concept, how do you teach decision-making? How can you help us coaches um, teach a little better decision-making throughout practice instead of maybe until the end to do a uh, decision-making or a scrimmage se- a session? Yeah, okay. Let's take mini clinic one, for example. Okay. okay. So mini clinic one is teach them how to be in triple threat with the wrist locked and cocked, their elbow under the ball, permanent pivot foot. Right foot, you sh- if you're right-handed shooter, your right foot, your shooting foot. It's staggered slightly ahead. And we always catch the ball with our feet in the air, and we always end our dribble with a one-count quick stop. Okay, so we drill that in the four lines. Boom, boom. And then we teach closeouts in the four lines. And then we teach them how to catch the ball with their feet in the air in the four lines. You know what I mean? So you go through that process. You've seen it on the, on the, on the VHS. And then right away, we're going to play three-on-three cutthroat. So... I'm going to catch – so here's – here, and with pressure workups. So in cutthroat, new team comes in on defense. If you get scored on, you're out. If you score, you get the ball. Well, the other way you get you get out if you're on offense is if you don't catch with your feet in the air. And if you, uh, if you are not in triple threat, you put the ball over your head. If you don't land square to the target on your jump stop, if you pass off the dribble. Um, whatever the four or five things were that I just taught in the four line drill, I want to see those things in three on three cutthroat. Now, when I'm doing three on three cutthroat, if I'm running dribble drive, I can go, I can say no screens in three on three. You got to start it with attacking the X and, you know, looking for contact and cut people off and then teach people how to move to the window. Um, read the weak side, all that stuff. If I'm a motion team, then we're going to set down screens or flare screens or whatever. We're going to swing it side, top side. Maybe they got to make four passes so everybody gets lots of handles, lots of touches on the ball where they have to catch with their feet in the air, where they have to end their dribble square to the square to the basket. You know, I don't like people landing with their back to the basket. So I set the pressure workups that I want to see them do in the game. So I'm creating habits now in a live situation after I've given them some repetition in a, in a quick drill work. I'm not a big drill person anymore. I like to just use the drills to introduce stuff. And then like one of my favorite drills is two on two on two, three on three on three, and then four on four, the old Hubie Brown Nick drill, just continuous stuff. Cause you go from offense to defense to out, you know? Um, but I think you have to use some drills to teach technique 
you know, and uh, but you want to get right to play as quick as you can, um, and and then and then it's the other issue in that is you don't want your intensity to suffer as we're learning a new skill. I don't necessarily think you have to go backwards when you're learning. Now, sometimes, sometimes the psychomotor skill is so extend, you know, is, is so difficult that you're going to have a little bit of backwards movement before you get better. But um, I don't think you should ever be sacrificing intensity in the drill or the play, you know, and then we wonder why our kids don't play hard in the game because you don't make them play hard in the drill. If we won't talk, how do people ask me all the time, how do you get the kids to talk? Well, they learn to talk in four line drill right away. First thing we do, you got to call a person name you're passing to. You got to say close out ready on your close out. If, you, if you're going to want them to talk, they got to talk all the time, right from the beginning, right from the jump. And I think those things, you know, Coach Meyer said a long time ago, you don't get what you teach, you get what you emphasize. Yeah, I'm just going to ask you that. And, and this is what I also believe in, too, is emphasis. But you have an accountability. So how do you hold them exactly. accountable? Well, you hold- you're out. In cutthroat right away, you're out. Yeah, okay. You're out. And in the winter, so everything's one. Whether it's a three or a layup or whatever, it's one. And first team to seven gets out of a single set, you know. Doesn't have to be anything drastic. You don't have to abuse them or nothing. You don't. You know, but they got there's got to be some account, some punishment. There's got to be a little bit of punishment. consequence. There's got to be a consequence. Absolutely. The consequence in a game is, you know, is the scoreboard. You know, one of the things I always used to get a kick out of in practice, it actually bothered me quite a bit because, and I overused it. I overused sets of lines as, as consequence. You know what I mean? But uh, they would always pick the con- pick their intensity level up so they didn't have to run. And I'm like, now, wait a minute. If I told you you were going to lose, if you don't pick the intensity level up, it wouldn't change you at all. The only thing that changes your effort is the fear of running. Why isn't winning more important than the fear of running? That doesn't make any sense to me. But it's team-wide. I mean, it's universal. (laughs) Universal. Running works. It just does. There's got to be a consequence. I agree with you 100%, Kevin. Yeah, it has to be immediate, and um, no, we do a variety of things and so forth. Sometimes, Mike, we, we just sub them out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, that's what Huggins said. That's exactly right. <laughs> Huggins said, keep in the box or run and sit. In games, you sit, and in practice, you run. <laughs> yeah, I heard that clinic a long time ago. Hey, Coach, um, Roger DiCarlo, who's the head uh, girls coach at uh, San Marcos High School, um, I interviewed him last, and he loves – he runs your buzz defense. And he, oh, said, he says, I can't wait to hear this podcast. He, lo- he runs your defense. Tell us about – I think it's a great defense. Thank and you. I'm not sure why most coaches are not using it. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I asked the same question at a clinic in, uh, that Russ, my friend Russ Davis does. He's the Cal Swiss coach and the Vanguard University coach in Southern California and, and he has a big clinic in the, in May every year. And, and I said to a lot of the college coaches that were there, I, I'm not sure why people aren't using this. I mean, we took kids that weren't as athletic as a lot of the teams we played in the NCAA tournament and bothered them badly. And, um, without the buzz, the buzz and dribble drive won every NCAA tournament game. I think that we won while I was there. Um, 
it's just when I first learned it, Jerry Jerry Finkbeiner was running it at Northwest Nazarene, and he had a girl named Stu Enjai in their five position who was six four and ended up playing in the ABL after college. And most people don't know what that is. That's prior to the WNBA. There was a couple seasons of the ABL for women, and Brian Agler was coaching in Columbus, and and that went for a few years, and then the NBA WNBA started. And but anyway. Um, Jerry shared it with me and he did all he would share. His assistant told me about her, who I had known because she was from the Boise area and played at Northwest Nazarene. And she told me, I got to look at this defense. So he sent me a piece of paper with the home bases on it, but Jerry plays it a little bit different. His plays it with the guards really back and wider. And it's not quite as aggressive as what we, what I'm comfortable doing, you know, and, and it's okay. It's just a different way. He had tremendous success with it, you know, and is still, he's the head coach of Utah state and um, he's doing pretty well there, I think. And, uh, but the buzz, I think it's just, I just, I don't know if you've seen the new buzz DVDs I just did for championship. I had done one for Cisco's about 15 years ago when I was at Idaho. And this one, this one's better. I, I feel really good about it because uh, I just broke it down a little bit more because I evolved more since then. I'd only been running it for about four years when I was there. My last two years at LC, the first year we put it in an LC, we were 26 and 0 and the number one ranked team in the country. Um, but it, we weren't running it as well as we did at Green Bay. The Green Bay kids actually taught me a couple things. And I tell that story on the DVD. I had two kids. Uh, there's a, there wasn't a kid in that program that I didn't just absolutely adore their mentalities and heart and hustle and teamwork and their mentality to just support their teammates, no matter what their role was. I mean, it was so unconventional. I understand completely why Kevin would want to come back to that world. But um, those kids, we had two kids that were really strong-willed kids. My first year there, there were four seniors and I had just gotten there and the head coach had been there a year before I got there. And and anyway, he, so he said, we can't really do many new things because they don't, they're not open to it. So I took him to this, Russ was running it at uh, his club team and we were in Tennessee and I, I said, let's go watch one of my friend's games. And so we're watching, he goes, what is this defense? And I said, well, it's called the buzz. Do you know anything about this? And I said, a little. And he said, well, what is it? And I said, well, it's a trapping two, three zone basically, but you're playing in passing lanes and high and aggressive. And he said, well, he's not high. And I said, no, but you know something about this? I said, oh, little. I taught it to Russ. And um, so he says, we got to put this in. I said, I thought you said the girls wouldn't do anything new. He said, well, we're going to do that. I said, okay. So we're trying to introduce it in practice one day at Green Bay. And our three, Rachel Porath, who I just, tremendous competitor, and our, and our point guard, Katie Hardy, whose dad went to college with me at Winona State. So it's kind of a small world. It was fun. But they were really tough girls. And you had to be able to tell the how and why of things, not just the how. And uh, so we do one possession. I used to do it. I used to teach it like I did a Fresno matchup when I was at LC my first two years. That's all I ran. And I put seven offensive players out there to teach them how to learn their own bases. And so we had seven players out there. And after one possession, Rachel, she's starting to get angry. And she kind of looks over at me. It was just bull, bull. Anyway, you know, and. 
and uh, Katie Hardy just stops right in the middle of the possession, and she says, what are we doing? We got seven players out here. I said, okay, fine. You and you in the corners, get out. Now you're five on five. Freaking get it done. <laughs> and right away, one possession, I just went, oh, my goodness. I just learned something watching one possession after that. And I had been doing a great job of teaching kids how to get to their home bases. But what I was not doing was teaching them how to fly around, anticipate, um, just letting the offense do whatever they want. So some situations might come up that you may not have planned for. So it just happens. And so it, I learned to teach it a lot better um, through those experiences. And then playing at such a high level that those guys were playing at, we got to play some tremendous competition and you saw all kinds of different things that people did. And sometimes the kids, a lot of times we just let them adjust and play. And uh, I learned a lot just kind of watching, watching them and because their mentality was so good, any little adjustment they'd make almost always worked, you know, because they were just so tough minded. Yeah. I'm actually my friend Rogers. uh, Actually, I'm, I'm, I have it right here. He sent me a UC Davis buzz video. Um, yeah, they run it different too. Yeah, yeah, and uh, in what ways do they run it different? The guards are back; they're back and wide, and they don't really trap quite as hard as we as we do, or as high on the floor. Yeah, and I, I want a bar level of pickup. I like it to be at the jump circle. Absolutely, and I was going to ask you. That's what we like to do. Matter of fact, we'll we change up to a two-two-one back into our buzz. And uh, I'm telling you, it gives, I'm telling you, it get, just gives a different look. We also run um, our one, two, two. Um, we give, it's just different looks, coach, that I like to do. Yeah. But I'm telling yeah. you, guys, they don't see it that much. How many teams pop or trap the two, three zone? Um, no. Is that why? It's, it's starting to get a little more popular now in the Bay Area. Uh, I guess the girls in the Bay Area have been running it for quite a while. Somebody won a state title running it uh, a couple of years ago, and I got an email from somebody I know around there that the buzz is taking off and doing really well. And and uh, I'm hearing more and more from people after this last DVD that I just put out. And um, so I think it's growing. But I think, and I say this on the new video, you you have to have – a certain mentality to coach the buzz. And, and that's okay. If you're a, a cautious, keep everybody in front of me. Uh, don't give up. You know, I'm not going to get extended here. And you're a careful coach, then don't run the buzz. But if you kind of like aggression, beating people up, um, causing turnovers, and you're okay with an occasional layup or two or giving something up, but you got to look, then, then the buzz is for you. You have to be able to look at the total picture of what you're creating in the offense. You know what I mean? Sure. Like you can't look at one possession. You got to look overall. Am I speeding this team up? Are they running what they want to run? Or are they just trying to survive? And most of the time, people are just trying to survive. They're not really running what they're used to running. And I love running a 2-2-1 back to it. We run some two, two, one, a little unconventional and, and just try to speed people up and get it out of the best ball handlers hands. And how many offenses are very effective when you don't allow their best, their, their point guard to start their offense. 
Um, that really bothers people because most teams have one, sometimes two handlers, you know, and now you make them play different roles. It's really hard. Or, or if you got the best player, when every time their best player touches it, I want her trapped no matter where she is on the floor. Two closest people, I want her trapped. Make her pass it. Don't let her beat you, you know. And if you if you just like aggressive basketball, the buzz is really good for you. But not everybody likes a game like that, and that's okay. Yeah, it's all a matter of your – uh, your system and what you believe, and you gotta be, you gotta believe in it, right, Coach? Um, and and oh, absolutely. Tell me, um, absolutely. I love your defense, and I'm so I'm so happy to be talking to you and picking your brain on it. Um, I'm honored. I love um, talk about your offensive philosophy. I know you believe in the early offense, secondary break, motion mm-hmm. offense. A little, give us a little advice. Give us a little piece of information about that. I think what I would do now, I, I think what I would do, I've learned a lot from uh, just since since those years. I, I love the dribble drive stuff with with the ball screen. I really like what they're doing in the NBA. I think because I didn't understand it for years. I, I was watching because I was just an old motion guy, you know, but I would watch NBA games, especially D'Antoni's team at Phoenix, and I love their spacing, but I didn't understand what they were doing. I didn't, I'd never run any ball screen stuff ever. And then my friend, Rob Judson, who was an assistant with Crean at Indiana was out for a year before that and came over and he and I played against each other in high school. And um, then he went on and played at, at Illinois and, and uh, he's now an assistant of Marquette. Uh, you know, I got to be really good friends the year, year before he went to Indiana. And um, he, he said, you want to learn? Because we were running dribble drive. He said, you want to learn some ball screen stuff? I said, yeah, I don't know anything about it. So he he teaches me, the, you know, the, the Dan Tony stuff, the seven-second offense, drag, step up, dribble add drag, doubles, and um, whatever the other – oh, attack, attack pass. And uh, I just – as soon as I saw that, I'm like, now the NBA makes some sense to me because they're just trying to get people in space, come off the ball screen, get them in rotations, and – Attack the X for layups. You know, I love that. I, I just love anything that attacks. Sure. You know what I mean? On both sides of the ball. I love anything that attacks. <coughs> having been out, excuse me, having been out of coaching for a few years, one of the things that I notice while I'm watching is how many people get beat off the dribble. And, and most of the time it's for one reason defensively they don't stop on the catch and the hardest thing to to guard is that direct straight line penetration a lot of people are trying to run dribble drive but they get pushed wide off the drive and so they turn it into a weave and i don't think that's very effective at, excuse me at all um but that happens to a lot of teams that think they're running dribble drive you got to get down the rail you got to move to windows at the right time um, and I think combining some of that with a ball screen kind of action is what I would like to do now. I, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd run secondary anymore unless I had a perfect team for it. You know, I had a four, it was a great trail for here, or then I might run a little secondary in the ball screen or something. You know what I mean? Cause secondary is awesome because it gives you some scoring threats and a scoring option right away. That might be something really fun to do in the ball screen motion, you know? Because the spacing is very, very similar. And I think those are some things that I would uh, – I don't like the other four players – the other three players standing on the perimeter, though. 
so much. But honestly, if you execute the ball screen well, you don't need a lot of movement. You don't want to be over moving, you know. I think the game's changing a great deal. I don't, I don't think we're going to see too many more just straight motion teams. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, tell, me, tell me what you think, Coach. We are very simple. We like to we, – we look for the three right, right away, and we read the D, and we're looking the dribble drive into the middle. We're looking the drive and kick, but we love to pass and cut. We feel like a lost art, so we really work on our data. Yes, can you hear me? No, I think so now. Yep. Go ahead. Let me mention again. Probably, probably missed it. Um, I believe that the cuts set up the dribble drive action by hard cuts, yeah. really gaps. What do you think? I, I do. I agree with that completely. It opens up double ga- double and triple gaps for you for driving, too. You know what I mean? Like that yes. hard cut off the top or a back cut opens the floor up um, from the top or from the corner. I just think there's a lot of really cool things that can come after you start making those cuts. It really spreads the floor even more. You know, and then if you added one of the things I think – um, like you'll see NBA team, two things, two situations where I think we just kind of go through the motions and we miss scoring opportunities. Like if I make a back cut and the ball gets skipped over my head as I'm making that back cut, stop your cut, turn, sit, and pin. If you're somebody who's a good post person, sit in a post. You know, sure, if you're sure. there, you got a mismatch. A great way to post guards. Or if you back cut out of the corner and the guy denies your back cut, well, he has to get in between you and the basket, right? Well, then just stop, turn, and pin, you know? Like on a clip screen in the NBA, you see this screen all the time. Clip screen is when a perimeter sets a screen for the ball screener first, okay? So let's say I got the ball at the point, and a high wing on the left-hand side comes to – or actually, I I move the ball to the left toward the hash mark on the left, okay? And the wing on the left runs and sets a – kind of a a screen for the five to run toward the ball screen. Well, he if they just follow that cut, anticipating the ball screen, just curl it for a layup. Curl that clip screen for a layup. They never look at that. They just assume they're going to go set a ball screen every time. You know, and I think there's scoring opportunities there. If you really got good, and you were talk, asking me before about decision-making, you know, read that screen action. That's a screen action. Don't just set the screen to, to set the ball screen, to set the next one. You know what I mean? It's like, and vice versa, if you set a snap screen, which is a post setting a, a back screen for a perimeter and then setting a ball screen, we'll look to score off the back screen. The guy's wide open sometimes and they don't throw it. They don't see him because all they're thinking about is the, is the ball screen. Well, now you got a little bit of true motion mixed in, not a ton, but a little bit of true motion mixed in to your ball screen action or your dribble drive. And that's stuff you can teach out of the three-on-three cutthroat stuff, I think. You know what I mean? Early. Yeah, and I love the small-sided games, basically what it oh, is. I love Yep. Yep. Well, Coach, what you're saying is you're saying even in the NBA, there's a lot of action going on. It's almost false action. False action. Rather, yeah. Is that what it is, or they just don't know how to read? No. No, I don't think that because I think 
those guys, I, once you understand that ball screen, at least for me, once I understood the ball screen, because so many people will say, well, it's just one-on-one. The NBA is just on one side of the floor, and it's just one-on-one. Well, then when I learned the ball screen stuff, and I'm like, those guys are making five and six reads on every ball screen. They're making all kinds of reads. There's stuff going on all the time, you know. But I just think there's some false motion opportunities that, that could be opportunities for scoring. You know what I mean? Sure. That could even take it to another level. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Hey, my favorite drill, we use this every day, and I think you mentioned it before, the Green Bay three-on-three. Three, we don't call it Green Bay, and I apologize for that. But oh, at three on get it. It's Hubie's drill. I, gosh, I should call it Hubie drill. Yeah, but, man, it's the best transition drill ever. I mean, because you, it forces – it's great. It forces on both ends. you got to get back on defense. If, yeah. if it's the same drill that – I'm thinking of, but we call it the get back drill. Yeah. Um, tell us about that more. Well, you, uh, you have two teams. That's the other thing is you got a winner and a loser. So one team will start on one end on offense and the defensive team, let's say greens on defense, whites on offense. So white tries to score to start the first possession, set a ball screen or do whatever you want to do. Tack the X, whatever. Let's say they score. Green has to – I don't want him to – it depends. You can have him take it out of bounds if you want, but I, if I'm really wanting some defensive transition, I just want Green to turn and outlet it to the Green. I got two lines of Green at each hat, at each free throw line extended. So yeah. I got White on the other end, okay, because they're on the – they're the outlet areas on the other end. There's no White player on the floor, White jersey player on the floor for defense. The defense is already on the floor on that end. Or for green, I'm sorry. So um, green outlets the ball. I'm confusing everybody. This is tough to do over the phone. Green's going to outlet the green. And then they're, sure. after they're on defense, they get off the floor. So now who was on offense has to sprint back and be on defense. Okay, now after they get a stop or, or the offense scores, now white outlets the ball to white. So there's two hash marks. So when we're doing two on two on two, first person in each line goes. Okay, not just the person you outlet to, but the other line on the other side too. Okay, and then you build it up to three on three on three, and then two will go from one side of the floor and one from the other. And then when it's four on four on four, two in each line will go. But I think you need like 16 to get that done. Right, right. It, it's so, it's such a, it, to me, it simulates a game more yeah. than anything else. And what is, the kids who hesitate just for a second get beat. Yep. Take the, takes them too long to get out of that that lane to get back on defense. It's a great drill, so well, I appreciate you, know, you. Oh, yeah, I love it. It's a great game. It's, uh, you know, Knight used to talk about the mental is to physical as four is to one. I'm like, what the heck? What's he talking about? Well, and he talked about transition basketball being so important, and I don't think – He's talking about going from offense to defense. I think what he's talking about as I've gotten older are the transitions that go on within a single possession. The, you know, going from offense to defense is okay, but going from being a ball side defender to a help side defender to closing out on a ball to fighting through a down screen to having a guard, you know, close out on a, on a skip pass to jump into the ball on a skip pass all happens in like three or four seconds. Those are a lot of transitions that go on. And teaching that mental side of the game, that mental quickness, 
can overcome some physical quickness sometimes. I think the, that uh, that drill really helps teach those mental transitions because they're happening on the same size of the floor with fewer players on it. Um, and now you kind of find out what your players really know in terms of how to play the game the way you want it done. I totally agree. I think next to your cutthroats and there's two great drills. I think every every team should have that in their repertoire. Um, I coach, tell, tell me about practices because I know you're a practice guy. And tell me right. now, you might have changed. I know. I know you've really gained a lot of wisdom uh, over the last few years. Tell us how you would run a practice starting tomorrow. Um. Well, I think I always had, I always started every practice with shot progression. At a certain way, I wanted them to shoot, to warm up, to shoot right. Um, we do lay on our back, shoot TV shots. I want a lot of backspin. I got certain things I want in the shot. Um, then I wanted to make uh, shoot five, three in a row perfects, one-handed, really close to the rim from five spots, right off, like on the block, 45 in front, 45, and then on the block again. Just one-handed perfects, working on holding your follow-through, full arm extension, getting a lot of backspin. And then I want to do um, parachuting or rapid fire as a shooting drill. I could never explain that on the phone. But parachuting for a minute where they have to cut, catch it on a run. Um, and uh, so we do that for 15 and then 10 free throws if they make. I got this from Morgan Wooten. If they make uh, 9 or 10, they get a permission, which gets them out of a sprint at the end. Or sometime in practice, they can use a permission to get out of a sprint. Um, if they make less than that, then I, they got nothing. And if they make less than six, then they got a single set or down and back or whatever that day. Um, so I'd start with that. Then I'd do 20, minute, 20 to 30 minutes of man-to-man -man defense fundamentals, which is building to four. I don't do a lot of drills there. I'm going to do a little one-on-one -on -one closeout, pop-back drill. You know, Dick and Tony use that a lot through the years, um, just watching the ball. And then I'm going to do everything out of out of four-on-four -four shell, you know, stances, position, movement, um, different things that we might have to guard down screens or flare screens or dribble drive. Or, and I would do dribble only first. So we learn our rotation defensively and our man-to-man. -man. Um, <clears throat> then I'm going to go offensive fundamentals for 20 to 30. Um, then I'm going to shoot again. Um, spot shooting, which is 53s in two minutes and 20 seconds. Um, I'll do different shooting drills in there. Rapid fire maybe again because there's so much talking and screening and movement that, and that has to go on. Decision making. Decision making is taught in the games that you play, you know, the little games you play in practice. And um, and then I'm going to do some – I might run a little buzz practice, but I don't practice it a whole bunch, a little bit, depending on my team. Um, and then I'm going to do team offense and team defense – or team offense five on five for the last hour, you know, 45 minutes. And we're going to play a lot. Uh, and we play – I want to play a lot in practice. Like if I do offensive fundamentals, I might work on setting and using screens that day or ball screen action. Um, at the beginning of practice, I might do two-on-oh ball screens and then two-on-two -two ball screens where we're working if I'm running ball screen motion, you know. Uh, I'm going to slip the blood drill in there on, uh, for dribble drive stuff if we're doing offensive fundamentals because you got to teach them how to attack and score with contact, you know. Um, that'd be my practice. That's what I do every day. I'm not, I, I don't change much, 
you know, I, I try to make it fun with the games, but I'll have a point of emphasis in each practice. Like we're going to talk and if we don't talk, we're going to get on a line. That's completely subjective, you know, and, sure. and it's what I say your best is not what you think your best is, what I think your best is. And I think that's where coaches make mistakes sometimes, not being willing to put themselves out there. You know, well, and, and you're afraid. I don't blame them. My goodness, it's almost a epidemic that's going on. Coaches getting falsely accused of things. It's epidemic, you know, and um, it's hard. It's hard now. I think it's uh, you don't want to be the casualty. You know, how do you stretch kids and make them uncomfortable and challenge them when, you know, a parent might swoop in and try to protect them from being being challenged, you know, or grown. It, it's scary. Yeah. And first of all, I'm going to be your agent. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to try to help get you, get you the job at UGA out here. Okay. My- <laughs> That'd be great. I know coach there really well. How's she doing? She's doing well. Matter of fact, we go to her camp every year and, oh, um, yeah, yeah, I have, She's actually, I have a gal. She's a great gal. I, I'm really glad she got that job. Yeah, and of course, Coach Landers was here for many. He still ha- – and he still hangs around here. Yeah. Uh, Tell Coach Landers I said hello. He's a good man. I will. Yes. Uh, I appreciate you sharing that because I know you're – what I love what you're doing, though, is you haven't stopped learning and growing. Thank you. Even though you're not coaching, but you are coaching. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You're still yeah. learning. Yeah. You need to sharpen the saw more and get away from the game and learn. What'd you ask me? I'm sorry. You cut out just a second. Do, do I think people need to do that? I think people need, I mean, from what I sense is I think, I don't know if particularly college coaches, I don't know if they get away. I lost you. You there, Kevin? Yes, coach. Hey, coach. There you go. I got you now. Satellite must have moved. Um, I don't know if you heard the question, but I, I know. Um, think what I said, and you've actually uh, grown by learning different. You actually grown, even though you're a very smart coach. You've actually learned more by being. Oh yeah. You, yeah. There's no question. Yeah, I think I've learned a ton being away from the game for a little bit. You know, it it took me – can you hear me okay? Sure, yes. Yeah, it took me a long time, actually. This is the fourth year now I've been away. Um, all that stuff happened in 2015. And um, I interviewed for a few W's and that just didn't happen. It was too raw. The Illinois stuff, I think, was too raw. And um, – that's something I'd still love to do if I had an opportunity, but um, I just think it's taken me four years to get to a point where I, I really needed uh, to get away a little bit. It was really healthy for me to get away. Um, I just think I see children much different. I see kids much different. I see my life much different, you know, my family. Um Honestly, it got, <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you a story now. Um, 
my sister goes to a non-denominational church up here in Spokane. And I was working for Northwestern Mutual, so I'm trying to make friends all over the place, you know. And the pastor at this church found out that I was, he's my, my sister, younger sister's bragging about me. And so he said, well, have him come and ask him if he'd come help my little church team a couple of days. So I did. And I went over and put a little stuff in for him. And he's just like gushing. And I'm like, just stop, settle down, <laughs> you know. And he goes, well, come watch me preach one night, you know. And I said, that'd be great. So I went on a Wednesday. And he was standing out in front of his church. And as I was walking up, he said, you and I need to have coffee this week. I said, okay. So we went to coffee on Friday. And he said, when you were walking up to my church, God told me to tell you this. He said, you're in the desert. And you're going to stay in the desert until you can learn to thank God for what he's done for you. Because 60 years from now, nobody's going to care if you ever coached at all. But you're going to be your soul is going to be saved because Isaac must die. Isaac must die. Basketball is too important to you. And you lost perspective and you're staying in the desert until you can learn to thank God for what he's done. Well, I can promise you, Kevin, I was a long way from being able to thank God for all that pain. Right. <laughs> but I think I'm growing a little bit wiser and just understanding um, my relationship with my wife and my children, our first grandbaby. I mean, my wife's a saint. We've been married 34 years, and um, she was very, very patient with me with all the hours and the time and the times I wasn't present, you know, and even when I was there, it just it was all consuming, you know, and I think if I ever coached again now, I'd be, well, I am, I'm a lot different right now than I, I'm a lot different right now than I was, you know, and it's been, it's been a painful growth and I'm kind of stubborn. I learned when I was really young, my mom said, Hey boy, you better figure it out because you're going to have to learn everything the hard way. Cause you don't listen to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, it took a beating, but I, I'm really pleased with where I am now. I feel really blessed. And uh, if coaching's in my future, basketball again, it is. If it isn't, it's okay. I can do what I'm doing right now and be really thankful and opportunity to help kids and coaches. And I uh, just feel really, really thankful. Yeah. And you're still coaching, like I said. And I, uh, matter of fact, I, I've, you know, I think we need more mentors in this industry. I think guys like you can offer so much, particularly, you know what I'm saying? I think there, there's an avenue for experienced college coaches with your wisdom. I think you'd be great in a clinic setting, whatever, because I know I've, I've gotten a lot from you over the years, and I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it that you would say that, and uh, I hope I've made a little bit of impact on people through the years. And um, even if it's been negative, that's not a way I want to do it. <laughs> you know, I mean, sometimes people can learn from that too. So, um, but I'm honored that you asked me to come and talk. This has been really fun. And um, it's always good to connect with, with good people. Absolutely, Mike. Hey, how can, I know a lot of my listeners love to contact uh, the people I interview. What's the oh. best to get a hold of get a hold of you well uh do people give their cell phones out much i don't mind talking and helping people at all absolutely okay my cell 
My cell phone is 217-369-4270. My email address is mikedevilbus at gmail.com. And, um, yeah, I'd love to hear from anybody that think I can help. Yes, and I'll have that on the website and everything so the listeners can go and get that. Um, You just – Great advice. Is there any one last piece of advice you can give a young coach coming up? Because you've been through you've been through the wars. What is one piece of advice you can give to a young coach? Um, read, learn as much as you can from people that have been there. There's a couple really really good books. Um, Bringing out the best in people by Alan Loy McGinnis. Don Meyer told me about that book back in the 90s. That book was outstanding. It's really old, but it's really, really good. It's old school. Um, One game is not worth you being the casualty. Um, One kid not being able to figure it out. uh, I'll, I'll tell you the times where I got in trouble coaching is when there was a really soft kid and I was trying to make them play with some aggression and passion, and, and you just can't do it. I just think that's a really, really hard thing. Don't become the casualty trying to pull more from kids, and it's hard. It's, it's really hard nowadays. I hope, our, I hope our society changes and parents recognize the importance of, of letting their kids wobble, let them struggle, let them release them to the process. Um, but until they do, uh, you just have to be really wise about how you approach kids and, and how you approach your team and, and the challenges that you give them. Um, I, I just, just be really, you just got to really be wise and watch and don't put yourself out there to be the casualty. You know, I mean, at some point the kids have to decide that it's important to them too. And I think you do that through connections and building relationships even closer. Um, you know, I say that, but those kids at Illinois knew where my heart was. They they knew who they came to when they wanted some help, you know, and that's just the fact. And so, but it just, it can get really, you just got to be smart. You got to be smart about who you recruit, who you surround yourself with. You got to do the, you know, I've heard Gino talk about this ad nauseum. How many times you got to be really, really careful who you let in your circle, who you let in the family, you know, and, you know, when you first go to a program, you can't sacrifice that to get a kid because you know you need a decent recruiting class to survive. And, and you can't, you got to watch those, those red flags when parents are filming games or in the coach's business, or hopefully the AAU coach or high school coach will tell you when parents are causing problems and you don't want those people. Cause you're next and don't ever think that some kid that's caught talking about their coach being this and being that and could do this better. Don't think you're going to be better. You're just going to be next. That's what I think. I think, I don't know if I'm talking too much in circles, but um, it, you know, I mean, coach Hatchell won a national championship and you know, that some of this stuff is just isn't right. Yeah. That's some great wisdom, I tell you, on that. And all of that is just – I appreciate you being so transparent um, because I think that's what you learn as coaches. And I love you. Uh, that's definitely kind of to hear from you. Uh, but I know this, 
you are helping so many coaches just by getting on this podcast. You're going to help. Joining us, Mike. Thanks again. You bet. Anytime. Anytime. I'd love to talk with you again sometime. Yes, and I'm going to send you some video on the buzz, if you our buzz, so you can critique. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Yeah, send it okay. to me. That'd be great. And I know uh, Coach DiCarlo from San Marcos, I know he's going to be calling you. Uh, hopefully hopefully that's okay. Yeah, is he in Texas or Cali? He's in Cali, yeah. He's uh, San Marcos in San Diego. Of course, he said it was 88 degrees yesterday in San Marcos. Tell him I don't want to talk to him. I don't want no part of talking to him now. Till next summer. <laughs> hey, my wife or my daughter lives in Santa Cruz. So I go down what? to see her occasionally. That's where my family's from. My family's from uh, Watsonville. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, that's awesome. oh, man, that's a small world. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I like going. I like going to. We went this summer. I went down there this summer a little bit. We went to Napa Valley for a little bit and had a great time there with my daughter and her husband. And then we went to a Cub Giants game at the new Giants State. Well, it ain't so new anymore, but it just is, it's really fun to do. It's a cool place. Yeah, it's a beautiful place out there. I really miss it. I grew up out there. And, I, of course, I'm out here in Atlanta area, so I like it out here. Too. Oh, yeah. I love the beach, so I, I don't mind going to Santa Cruz for a while. <laughs> well, Kevin, thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. We'll talk soon. See you. Bye. Huddle is the preferred video and analytics platform for over 6 million users and 150,000 teams worldwide. Huddle offers a complete performance platform, including the most powerful and flexible tools for video analysis with online tools, mobile and desktop apps, smart cameras, analysts, and more. For more information on Huddle, check out hudl.com or at Huddle on Twitter and Instagram. Hi, this is Jeff Jasper, head basketball coach at Pascack Valley High School in New Jersey. If you haven't listened to Kevin's championship podcast, you're missing out. This guy's got a passion for the game, great insights, and he interviews some pretty cool people. I must say he interviewed me. I had a lot of fun. Best to all of you. Take care. Hey, coaches, this is Nick Bartlett with Dr. Dish Basketball, and you're listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Make sure to check us out at drdishbasketball.com and on Twitter and Instagram at at drdishbball for daily basketball drills, tips, inspiration, and how we've revolutionized the basketball shooting machine over here at Dr. Dish. Also mention this podcast and you will receive an exclusive discount on your next Dr. Dish purchase. Thanks for tuning in.